0: Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona. I'd like to welcome everyone to the broadcast this evening as we are continuing in our studies in the writings of the Apostle Peter. And uh, this is episode number seven, so uh, we're still in 1 Peter, second chapter, uh, starting with verse nine, maybe a little review or reading of verse eight, but... On through 17, if we make it that far, Um, that's our intent anyway. We're prepared for all of that. Now, hopefully, uh, if you're listening in, you heard a little uh, uh, intro music before the program. We're trying to resolve our uh, problem with some folks not hearing the very first of the program. And that wouldn't be very good because most of my um, good remarks happened within the first couple minutes. And nonetheless, uh, we hope that that doesn't happen. <clears throat> so in way of introduction, I've got a few things to say before we get into the text um, concerning the text. Now we know, um, we're very confident at least, that Peter's writings were sent out the believers in Christ, whether they had been either Jewish uh, people, covenant people under the uh, the covenant uh, that the Jewish people lived under that were now Christians in the churches, or the Gentile element from the nations, as the Bible uh, likes to uh, refer it that were also now in Christ as they had obeyed the gospel in their own homeland. So remember this, uh, the uh, beginning of this letter is the uh, choice sojourners. um, and In other words, those that had traveled to distant places, but also those that were there because these letters went out to the churches. That was the intent. Um, So that leads us to what I want to talk about. The mystery had been revealed through the apostles' teaching and preaching. And that mystery was this, that God had made the two one through Christ Jesus. So he had made his covenant people of Abraham through Moses and, and the law and the regulations and all Uh, in Jerusalem and all the history of the Jews. All of that was the covenant relationship God had with the Jews. Also, the promise of Messiah was to them and to them only within the law, although the prophets did speak of others that would also be part of that covenant in the end days. So... uh, this this had been known. Uh, God had made the two one through Christ Jesus. This being true, we find that some of what is said in these writings seems to be very pointed towards a particular group, uh, the Jewish group, now Christians, or the Gentile Christians. Uh, some of the things said, and I, I think that's probably... Uh, Quite important, and I think we should understand uh, not only Peter did this, but we find this all through the epistles, uh, not the gospels so much, because remember they were written to the Jewish people, but and for the Jewish people in the beginning. But th- that's and that's what we find here. Now, First Peter, two, the second chapter that were in the first eight verses to me seems to be the most informative for the Jewish minds and backgrounds of those people. In other words, those first eight verses that we went went over last week. While 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, that's part of our text this evening, is very clearly towards the Gentile culture, the Gentile thinking in some of the things that are said that we'll discuss. And I think this is an important distinction to be made. Even though both groups must come to Christ in the same way. That is, through faith and obedience to the gospel. And God's God's terms of pardon, as I like to say. Now, the key verse for the Jewish Christian seems to be 1 Peter 2.8. And I will read it so refresh your mind, uh, your thinking, uh, on what it said. The last verse we dealt with last week. And it says, <clears throat> the apostle says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, who are stumbling at the word, being unbelieving, to which also they were set. Now the last phrase, to which also they were set, Of course, is a reference, I believe, to the covenant that they were certainly set for. They were also set for the Messiah and all the promises of God, uh, the the blessings, and also the punishment if they were stumbling at the word, as we find here, being unbelieving. And it wasn't like these things were impossible to believe. Because when we read the Old Testament, we hear God speaking to his people over and over again. And even at one point or a couple of points, he says, come, let us reason together. I don't think we can uh, argue the, the uh, idea that uh, the word is hard to understand or impossible to understand. There was no riddle. Uh, it was simply the word. And the scripture says struggling, but really, isn't it just rebelling? Uh, That's what it comes to. Uh, Now, that's the key verse, I think, that shows the Jewish climate, the covenant climate, because they were set for this. Then the key verse for the Gentile Christian, I think, is 1 Peter 2.10. We haven't read that yet, but I'll just read it now so you can... See where I'm going with this <clears throat> speaking about the subject here who were once not a people and are now the people of God who had not found kindness and now have found kindness um, to me that that's a very clear reference to those outside of the of the covenant uh, that was so long uh, with the people. Uh, basically, well, from Abraham, quite a long time, but even from the giving of the law, we're talking about 1,550, uh, 60 years. Um, and I, I think that's uh, quite a long time to be in that covenant. You know, also, I'm sure these passages brought much comfort and understanding to the readers and hearers of the apostles words so if you can picture these two groups and as they read these words that brings them and their life and their situation very familiar things right to them right be front in front of them Uh, I think this was a, a very strong made a very strong plea from the Apostle he understood He understood the condition of his audience. Uh, He had very very good audience relevance in in that case. He understood his audience and who they were and what their situations were. Even today, when we look at this, when we can see this distinction, we see that God's work among men to bring... uh, Bring them a covenant or non-covenant, and uh, the I believe the old covenant uh, under the uh, under Abraham and for the Jewish people has been uh, put to rest. But uh, many still feel that covenant is in place, and they are people that still need to be converted. So we see God's working even amongst this today and he is he's still calling for the two to become one through Christ his son the other thing is my observation is today in the world we live in and probably many years be, before this uh, the world of men see a thousand different separations between people And I don't know what they're looking at, if they're looking at culture or geography or uh, so many different things, but there's so much separation, it's almost impossible uh, to get a real handle on it. But I think God sees only two separations. We talked about that this last week at the end of the lesson. God sees only two, those alive in Christ, and those dead in their sins I believe that's the two matter of fact that's the same two groups I believe that Jesus saw when he walked this earth when he spoke of the living that was those that were believing his words and those that were dead but just didn't know it and as we speak about so often on you know in Sunday morning class and here all of those different divisions of people are all summed up within the ancestry of Christ. That's right. Yes. And uh, th- there's just so much to this. You could go on and on. But I think it narrows itself down to this. Yes. And this needs to be understood. You know, if this is understood, then people will be converted. People will seek God. People will seek the safety of being alive and having a future. So this harsh reality, because I believe it is a harsh reality, is the burden of God's people to make clear or to make clearly seen, uh, as our text usually uses the word manifest, uh, which means to be clearly seen, that there is a life of hope and promise available to those that would obey the gospel, that would that would answer the call that God has given mankind, and that call comes, of course, through His Word, through the desire for people to seek Him and find out what it is that God, uh, who God is, and and what is all of this about, you know. It's a long journey, but it's a good journey when you're going in that direction. So there is hope and promise through obeying the gospel and the preaching of the Lord's apostles. Now we, uh, I keep saying preaching of the Lord's apostles because I still feel the preaching should follow the pattern of the apostles of Christ. Uh, Today we have It seems many different uh, uh, ways of preaching. Uh, Lots of them are laced with uh, old stories of past situations or something of the speaker, which may or may not pertain uh, to anything important for those that are listening, Uh, although it seems to be interesting to the speaker many times. We need to make sure when we have a, cho- a chance to speak to someone concerning the gospel that we we make sure that that is the primary goal and we we take care of that uh the small talk should come sometime in, in another time and uh, i well i won't get, go into i i saw on television many years ago a, a man that had a chance to speak God's word and instead Spoke about someone who had lost a leg, I believe, in an accident. Anyway, it was a total waste of time in the audience that he had. <clears throat> I don't think they were impressed by that. But in Second um, Peter or First Peter, chapter two, verses nine and ten. Let's let's turn to those, and I will read them, and then we can discuss some of the very incredible points about what they say. And we can listen to this, the translation, uh, Young's Literal Translation, which is a very good one that I'll point out a little bit later. It says, And you, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people acquired, that the excellencies you may show forth, of him who out of darkness did call you to his wonder, wondrous light. Verse 10. Who were once not a people and are now the people of God, who have not found kindness and now have found kindness. Now I want to point out right away something that I think is uh very um, very well done by our translator who is a man named Robert Young, a, a Scottish man, Professor Young, I guess you could call him. That was his profession uh, teaching uh, in the um, religious institution. He uses the word here, choice. Um, and I think most of our most of our Bible translations use the word chosen, um, even in our uh, t- translation. But choice is a much better word because it is choice instead of chosen for uh, a reason I'd like to explain. Now, this is my, my thinking, and I think it fits. And we would say, why, why would he do such a thing? Um, Because if you look at that Greek word up, you will find uh, the word uh, chosen, uh, selected, things like that. Uh, Also, the idea of choice. Um, Why is this important? Well, I believe that the translator here wanted to avoid the mistaken concept of being somehow pre-selected, or can I use this terrible word, Uh, You know, predestined, that word's actually in the Bible, but it refers to the the apostles and them only. But I'll just use the word preselected. As people, as people or a group of people, apart from their decision to be saved in Christ. So you, you hear what I'm saying here. He wanted to avoid, I believe, the mistaken concept of being pre-selected as a people to be, uh, and all of that is apart from their own personal decision, that they were saved in Christ because they were chosen ahead of time. And I, I just must say no man or woman has ever um, been forced into being a part of a chosen race now I know we live in a time when a lot of people feel they're born into the church or they're not born into the church and I don't mean born again I mean your parents are Christians so you are you're born and you feel you are well I don't find that in the Bible, but it sounds very pleasant uh, but it's not scripture so we can't do that. So we can't even say that that is the chosen element there. Uh, I would rather be born to Christian parents than non-Christian parents. That's true. But no one was ever forced into becoming part of the chosen race or the royal priesthood. That is, some of our translations say the kingly priesthood. That is priest to the king a holy nation and the nation is holy because their God is holy and the Latin another phrase here a people acquired now what does that mean I know what it might mean or it might those that have a Calvinistic bent might feel that means acquired or or uh, gathered up drug or something but that, that's not what the acquired means. The acquired, how are we Christians? We're blood bought. We're purchased with the blood of Christ by the will of God. That no man, no man has a thing to do with the fact of us coming to become a child of God outside of spreading the message. We are bought with the blood. So, I don't believe anyone has ever been in this, condition, in this condition apart from their own personal decision to accept God's terms of pardon. And I think in a, in a verse like this, we see that we can have a misconception, mostly due to our, our background or our um, baggage, as I like to call it. We all have baggage we got to carry it around, uh, but we need to make sure that we're able to defend ourselves. Um, but in this verse, uh, I, was, I was so pleased to find the word choice used instead of chosen because chosen can be a miscon- uh, mis- uh, mi- uh, mistaken concept. And it, it's not really not there, especially when we, we finish the rest of the verse. And Accord- the most important part is the people acquired the blood-bought idea of being uh, within that royal priesthood. Even the apostles, think back, even the apostles, each one of them, made a personal decision to follow Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember the Gospels? I believe Jesus said to a number of them, come, follow me, and, and other phrases. Uh, some came uh, because their brother came with Jesus, and but the, they got up, they got up and, and followed. They got up and became part of the group. Um, they made a personal decision to follow Jesus of Nazareth, and they continued that decision unto their death. Now, after they'd made that decision, of course, through the years they they acquired a lot of information, a lot of understanding. And, uh, of course, on Pentecost, they received the, the gift, the power from on high, and and they uh, had the mind of Christ. And, yes, they were very involved. They spoke forth for, from Christ, and, and uh, they certainly were um, uh, the ambassadors of Christ because of that. But they, as we still do this in faith, out of faith. It's out of our faith, out of their faith they did these things, out of their faith of the things of God. That, that's what they were concerned with. They, they were pious men. Uh, they were. They were righteous men. But nonetheless, they had to make a decision for Jesus of Nazareth because if there were any strings of the marionette, if you know what I mean, any of the controlling factor that Calvinism uh, issues um, in the five points, which are disastrous in, in my understanding. But those strings of a marionette, they destroy the whole concept of faith. What do you need faith for if you have no decision to make? That would make faith void. And thus, it would make the writings of the New Testament and the Old Testament void. So um, I don't, we don't have to work too hard to disprove Calvinism when we use the Bible. Now, we might have a hard time doing it at the uh, religious bookstore, but in the Bible, it's fairly, fairly easy to do. Also, in verse 9, we are called as partakers of God's glorious promises to show forth the Lord and uh, because of these wonderful things that we have uh, the the, the uh, choice um, um, choice race and, and and the royal priesthood and all of the different things that that are exciting to think about, it should cause us, then, to show forth from ourselves, out of ourselves, the excellencies, as the word is here, the excellencies uh, of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And here we have this um, symbol, uh, symbolism of darkness and light used through the, the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Darkness being always the idea of being ignorant of God's ways, which brings sin, which ends up that we are lost or wandering, stumbling, if you will. And the opposite light being knowledge, knowing of the forgiveness of God, through his word, and to have a real hope. You know, we, we, we live in hope because that's a part of faith. Faith brings us and makes us a hopeful person. And what is our hope? Well, our hope, of course, is heaven. All of that is found in the light, never in the darkness. So this darkness and light, the apostles, the, the writers of the New Testament, Uh, bring these words in there to remind us constantly of this idea of being in the darkness and being called out of the darkness by the gospel into the light of promise. So in verse 10, as we move through this, I want you to compare this idea, what it says in verse 10, that we once not a people, and are now the people of God, who had not found kindness and now have found kindness. Compare this to what the Jewish prophet Isaiah wrote, writing, of course, to the Jews about a situation that would occur in the last days, the days of the Messiah. This was written some 600-plus years before the birth of Christ, and the apostolic ministry let's look at um, there's quite a few places, but we're just going to look at a couple and isaiah sixty two by the way for you uh, uh that are interested in this isaiah sixty one is the first part of that that chapter is the very words that Jesus spoke in Nazareth when they handed him the scroll to read and um Oh, that was, that was a moving thing. Uh, and he's quoting from Isaiah. And we shall do so the same tonight. In uh, chapter 62, the first couple of verses, first three verses, For Zion's sake, or the Jews' sake, I am not silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I do not rest till her righteousnesses go out as brightness and her salvation as a torch that burneth. And nations have seen thy righteousness. Now, who are the nations? This is the Gentile world. They've seen the righteousness of the brightness, okay? This is prophetic, of course. And all kings thine honor, and he is giving to thee a new name that the mouth of Jehovah doth define. Now, what do you suppose that new name might be? It certainly we're not we're not talking about the old name of God's people, are we? Everyone knew that name. Those are the the uh, children of Israel, um, the Jewish people, you know, and, and names such as that. Uh, this this new name, of course, would be the name Christian. And as we know, that word, and I believe it's in the book of Acts, it, uh, that word, I believe, was uh, brought from heaven because according to the Greek and the language, it isn't inspired or uh, a word from, from heaven. They were, fall, they were called uh, Christians first in Antioch, I believe it says. <clears throat> by who? Well, by God that the mouth of Jehovah is not to find. He's the one that gives the new name. Verse 3, And thou hast been a crown of beauty in the hand of Jehovah, and a diadem of royalty in the land of thy God. And it goes on and on uh, here, speaking on this, but I want to jump up to uh, chapter 63. First couple of verses. This is more towards the Gentile area. Who is this coming from Edom with dyed garments from uh, Basra that that is honorable in his clothing? Traveling in the abundance of his power, I speak in righteousness mightily to save. Um, Oh, by the way, I think this should be chapter 65. Oh, 65. Chapter 65, because I know chapter 63, too. 65, I have been inquiring of those who ask not. I have been, let me read that again. I have been inquired of by those who ask not. I have been found by those who sought me not. I have said, behold me, behold me unto a nation not calling in my name. I have spread out with my hands all the day unto the apostate people who are going in the way, not good after their own thoughts. Now, I'll stop there because this whole chapter, you need to read it if you want to get the full intent. But the first verse is speaking about the Gentile nations. Um, they were not called by his name. The f- second verse is speaking about the apostate people. Now, who do you suppose those are? To be an apostate, you have to be the legitimate people at one time. These are the Jews. And he goes on from this second verse down through, speaking of some of the uh, downfall of those, uh, of, of those people in that day, in the last days here. See, this is the speaking of, of the two groups being made one in the last day, uh, through the apostolic preaching and, of course, through Christ. I think that's one way to look at verse 10. There's a lot more to be said about that, Uh, and even some of our reference uh, Bibles actually will take you around a little bit. Um, But there are many, many good verses. This is all very uh, wonderful teaching. It shows us where they were then, and where we really are now. First Peter chapter two, verse 11 through 17. Um, There's lots of things to be said about these verses. Let's just look at them one at a time. Beloved, I call upon you as strangers and sojourners, to keep from the fleshly desires that war against the soul now you see this whole section eleven through actually goes beyond verse seventeen is is the um, if you will instructions instructions from the apostle to the brethren all these things are um, exhortations if you will if you want to use that word but They're simply very good uh, instructions uh, that I would say are not suggestions, but are indeed commands. This is the apostles doing what Jesus called them to do in Matthew 28 you know, uh, go out and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then teach them all things that I have taught you, basically. And this is what's going on here. Um, This is how a Christian is to live, especially in the Gentile world. Um, Because this is where these letters are going, mostly. So in verse 11, Christians, they were now... Strangers and sojourners in the world of darkness, weren't they? Now they were the strangers. Even if they'd have been part of that dark world before, now they're strangers to it because they're in Christ. Uh, they're sojourners um, because they don't really have a home amongst the world of darkness. Yeah, they've come out of it. They've come out of it. Call out of the world into darkness. The light. That's the process. Uh, that reminds me of John chapter first. John chapter one. Well, actually, the Gospel of John chapter one too uh, speaks on this subject. Then in verse twelve, having your behavior amongst uh, among the nations right. That it in that in that which they speak against you as evildoers, of the good works having beheld, they may glorify God in a day of inspection. Uh, uh, Young's is using a a vernacular of his day. It doesn't quite fit with our our conversational language today. But... Yeah, ASV, maybe about almost a 100 or 50 years newer at least. Uh, having your behavior seemingly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they beheld, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, that's a little clearer. Um it's still, the, uh, it's still the language of our grandfather, but uh, it's not bad. Um, as Christians, um, their behavior amongst the unbelievers or the world is to be a credit towards God. The things they do are, are to show forth that these people who call themselves Christians are doing things that bring honor to the Lord that bring honor to God now of course if Christians are doing something that is uh, in the category of law-breaking then of course they're not bringing honor to God as lawbreakers are they so that's that's the that's the situation here that's the exhortation if you will um, It leaves no room, when Christians do good things amongst evil people, it leaves no room for those same people to make accusations towards them. And in fact, it's it's glorifying God in the day of visitation. I won't go into into that so much, Uh, but there's always a reckoning, isn't there? And that's what we're talking about here. These things will be remembered. Uh, and of course, in the people in that day, those things were remembered and rewarded uh, or punished, however it may have been. That's that's verse 12. Verse, verse 13, following, he's just one thing after another. And it starts with a phrase that I think uh, raises the hair up in the back of your neck a little. Be subject. We don't like that too well. But here's what we need to be subject to as Christians. Be subject then to every human creation because of the Lord, whether to a king as the highest. Let me read verse 14 too whether to the governors as to those sent through him for punishment indeed of evildoers and praise of those doing good, because so is the will of God doing good to put to silence the ignorance of the foolish men. I'll I'll pause there. So we're to be subject. Be subject. Uh, And we say, well, how can Christians be subject to worldly institutions, um, uh, worldly people, even evil people? Think of the Christians in the first century, uh, the ones that we are speaking about in the days of Peter here, uh, were under the rule of Nero, who was basically a madman, Uh, thinking he was God himself and uh, doing the most dastardly things to innocent people. Uh, How is it that we honor that? Be subject, then. You see, if we're not subject, and if you'll read the history of the early church, you'll find that the Christians were subject to and did obey the laws of the, of the land that they lived in. And most of the, the known world in those days was ruled by the Romans, but there were other uh, sub-rulers in the countries they lived also. But I think the key phrase here we need to start with is the idea, uh, because of the Lord... You know, when Christians do things that are unlawful, un- unkind, unloving, and all the many things of that nature, who is it that receives the slander? Is it not the Lord himself? And they this admonition, uh, admonition that the apostles giving here is found all through the New Testament concerning things such as this, for the men and women, for the, for the young men to honor the older men, for the, for the, the young women to be chaste and, and, and to um, be respectful of, their, uh, of the men and the older women. All of these things, because if they did not do that, it brought shame upon the Lord himself. Because of the Lord, and this is the point, I think, the point of it, uh, of these, uh, all the way through verse 17, um, we still have just a little time. We can look. Uh, I stopped at verse 15, but let's read 16 and 17. It says, "As free." Now, you see, the word "free" applies to the Christian. It does not apply to the non-Christian because they are not free. They're slaves to sin. A Christian is a servant to God. And believe me, that's, that's a free state next to being a slave to sin. So as free, as Christians, and not having the freedom as the cloak of the evil, but as servants of God. To all give ye honor. The brotherhood, love ye. God fear ye, or respect or reverence God. The king, honor ye. Now what's said here? I think if you've lived any time at all as a Christian, you'll find sometimes there's been a violation of the Christian using their freedom, if you will, as a cover for their wrongdoing. Um, And it could fall into many different categories of which I won't get into. But just think what it means, uh, how much harm it does. You know, I'll give you one illustration that we see and I have seen. A Christian person has the freedom to drink alcohol, a drink, as a libation, as something to relax, or such as wine, Um, not drunkenness, never drunkenness, because that's been a sin from the very beginning. But a Christian could use that freedom in front of a brother that has been an alcoholic and cause them to fall and become once again entangled in such a thing as that. Because they don't understand, they, they might think, well, I guess since I'm a Christian now, I can drink and it won't bother me. If they didn't know, it will. Because we still have a body, and you know these are our, our weakness. Um, so that's one, one way you could use it as a cloak. But it, it's not right. So if you're going to do this, you need to make sure of your circumstances. And I don't know that you can ever really be sure. Um, Be servants of God. But as servants of God, in other words, this verse is just a continuing statement. Uh, But as servants of God, to all give your honor. And some of our other translations are a little more simple honor honor all men, uh, and, and now we're talking about who? We're talking about worldly people, aren't we? We're to give honor. We're to respect people of the world. And I wonder about this this list. I think of the order of it. Why would that be first? Well, why wouldn't reverence God be first in the list? And then I remembered the teachings of First John. Remember what the apostle told the Christians that uh, do not do not say you love God who you have not seen while you hate your brother who you have seen so you see you you can't you can't do it uh, you can't love God first and then the, then the others you're that's not how you're supposed to put things together um I'm not sure exactly where that's at. 2.10. 210. John says, The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In another place, it it says that... uh, you cannot love the father and hate your brother. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? You know, it took me a long while to really put that together. But, you know, that, that, is, uh, that is the truth. If you really examine yourself, examine your heart. We're talking about your brother in Christ. We can even be talking about the people of the world. This idea of hating is a real handicap. That we need to make sure we're not don't fall into. So the the list there: give honor to all men, love the brotherhood, your brethren in the Lord. You love them, you you uh, respect them. Fear God is the same thing as saying have reverence for God, worship God, and honor the king. Now we're back to the king again, aren't we? You honor the king because the Bible teaches that no government is in place that will not answer to God for their actions. So if they do evil to you, guess what? God will take care of it. (laughs) Uh, We don't have to worry about that. I believe somewhere in the Bible it says uh, uh, concerning uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That leaves me out of the equation. I'm just going to have to wait on God, and I'm willing to do that. So we honor the King because of his position, because the King can do great, uh, can can do very wonderful things for the people of God. He has the ability and the power to do so. We're out of time for this evening. Um, We'll pick it up there because there's some more of this to come. And then we're we're going changing the topic around verse twenty or twenty one, um, getting more into the uh, apologetical looking at at the Lord Himself. So I hope this has been uh, useful to you tonight, uh, as we see the wisdom given to us by the apostles in their letters. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we indeed thank you for the time that's been granted and allotted that we may come together and do these things and for that and for your word father we depend we praise you father and we pray it all in the name of our lord jesus christ amen okay round two name something that's not boring